This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Chapter 15 of Exodus. We have been following uh, the life of Moses, the man of God. And uh, I think this is part seven this morning of, of uh, this little series. And uh, the 10 plagues that God has uh, judged Egypt with are over. The Passover has happened. The children of Israel has gone through the Red Sea. That God miraculously, incredibly opened up before them that they went through on dry ground. And then after that, the Egyptian army was destroyed in the Red Sea when the walls closed, <laughs> sea walls closed in around them, and their bodies were scattered across the beach on the other side. And then the children of Israel had the biggest praise service in all of human history. Two million of them began to sing the song of Moses, specially composed for that moment. And Miriam, with her timbrel, uh, got the woman to do a special dance and rejoice and to sing that the Lord had thrown the horse and the rider into the sea. And so there was great praise and rejoicing. You can imagine the excitement because their enemies have been destroyed. They have left Egypt forever. They're on their way now to the promised land. And so there was tremendous rejoicing to be had. And so that's where we ended up in the last message. So we want to begin now because now they're going to make their journey to the land of promise. And uh, we want to pick the story up again in verse 22 of Exodus 15. <clears throat> so Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah, or bitter that simply means. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Incredibly, just after the great praise service three days ago, just after seeing their enemies destroyed three days ago, just after knowing that they would never have to go back to Egypt three days ago, here they are already complaining. And this is a, a recurring refrain throughout this whole story from here on out. They complained and complained and complained. The people of God, it's not a very nice trait that sometimes we complain far, far too much. And this is not their first complaint. You remember this started, and we've already seen this in our story, how that whenever Moses first went to Pharaoh and said, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go. And how he said, No. But then after that, he imposed upon the Hebrew slaves extra work. Now they'd have to make bricks without straw. They'd have to find their own straw, but yet they'd have to have the same tally of bricks. So their work was double, trebled, whatever. 
And they complained, a delegation complained against Pharaoh who didn't even want to see them. So they went to Moses and they complained to Moses. And they said to Moses, you have made us a stink in the nostrils of Pharaoh and now he's going to take the sword to us. And they complained. They complained when they got to the Red Sea. When they saw the sea before them and the topography of the land, to right and left, they couldn't move, they couldn't escape, and now the Egyptians is coming behind them, their great army, and they were afraid, and they complained to Moses. And they said to Moses, were there not enough graves in Egypt that you brought us here to die here by the hand of the Egyptians? And they complained. And here they are again, after the great victory, after only three days, and they're complaining again. Now, of course, we can understand that three days in the wilderness without water would be a little uncomfortable. It would be uncomfortable for them and for their children and for their livestock. But had they not learned to trust God? Have they forgotten to trust God in just three days already? And of course then, Moses, because remember, out of the two million people that are here, Moses is the only one who had experience in the wilderness. He spent 40 years in it looking after his father-in-law's sheep. So he probably knew if we just keep on going, there's going to be some oases somewhere around here, and he maybe knew some of them uh, personally. But whenever they got to that first one, they found the water was bitter. They could not drink it. And so they complained to Moses. What shall we drink? The water is bitter. Not only was the water bitter, but they were becoming bitter. Remember the little beautiful story of Ruth and how that Ruth and her husband Elimelech and their two sons, Malon and Kilion, how there was a famine in the land. They lived in Bethlehem, which means uh, house of bread, but there was no bread in the house of bread. And so they left and went to Moab. They spent 10 years there. And in Moab, her two sons married two Moabitish women, Orpah and Ruth. And then her husband Elimelech died. And then in that period of 10 years, her two sons died. And she's left now with her two daughters-in-law, who were Moabite women. But then she heard there was bread in the house of bread again. So she said to her daughters-in-law, she says, listen, uh, it's not fair, she says. You need to stay here because I, I'm going back home to my homeland. But, but listen, if I was to marry again, and even if I was to have children, and even if I was to have two more sons, would you wait for them till they're full grown? No, I don't think so. That wouldn't be fair or right. So you stay here with your family and with your kinfolk. And Orpah... Bible says, kissed her mother-in-law and left, but Ruth claved to her. She hugged her and held on to her. And she says, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. The Lord do to me and more also if anything but death parts you and me. What a wonderful statement that was. Now, whenever they went back, then to Bethlehem, uh, and if you read on, it says the woman, the, the whole town was glad that Naomi had come back. She was well known in the town. But the woman said, is this Naomi? And she said, listen to what she said, verse 20. But she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Naomi, call me Mara. Naomi means pleasant. She says, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. 
call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full. The Lord has brought me home again empty. I wonder how Ruth felt about that. Why do you call me pleasant since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? She had become bitter. But what she didn't know was the Lord was about to do something miraculous and wonderful that would not only change her life, but change the life of Ruth. And Ruth would end up in the very lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Ruth was going to marry Boaz, and they would have a son, and that son, Obed, would have a son called Jesse, and Jesse would have a son called David, who would be King David, and Jesus is King David's greater son, the Bible calls him. It doesn't pay to become bitter. And the children of Israel were becoming bitter, and they complained against Moses. And so he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. Now, there was nothing medicinal about this tree. There was nothing special about the tree. It didn't have any healing qualities. It was a sign to them to show that faith and obedience through faith and obedience that God would meet every need they would ever have. And Moses' faith and obedience by simply putting that tree into the water caused the water to be drinkable and to be made sweet again. You remember Elisha the prophet and it tells us in 2 Kings and how that at Jericho the people said to him, the place is pleasant, it's lovely to look at but the water is poisonous. It brings death and barrenness to the land. And Elisha says, give me a new bowl. And he puts some salt in it. And he took the bowl of salt to where the source of the river was and he poured it in and the water became sweet from that day onwards. And they were able to drink it and it blessed the land. And he says, there be no more death or barrenness in the land from this moment on. And then on another occasion, when he had the skill of the prophets and uh, how it came close to dinner time. And he said to his assistant, he says, you go out and get some uh, herbs and things from the forest there, bring them, and we'll make a big pot of stew. And so he went out, and he got some, uh, some vine, and he got some wild herbs, and he got some gourds, wild gourds. And he chopped them all up, put them in the pot, made stew, but whenever they began to eat it, it was poisonous. <laughs> he didn't know that there was something bad he put in it by mistake. And they says, oh, man of God, there's death in the pot. And he says, give me a handful of flour. And he threw it into the pot. He says, now you can eat, and it'll be fine. Now, there was nothing in that flour. There was nothing mysterious or medicinal. <laughs> but it was a sign. And through his faith and obedience, that worked. And do you remember the time, too, when the young prophets were cutting down trees to extend the place of the prophets? And how one was chopping the tree, and the axe head flew off and into the river. And he says, oh, man of God, he says, alas, for it was borrowed. And what did Elisha do? He cut down a stick. Actually, it was a tree in the original. And he threw it into the river, and the axe head come right up to the top. It says it floated, but in the resident says it swam. Right over, right over to where they wasn't used to bend down and pick it up. 
Now again, there was nothing in that tree to be able to do that, but through faith and obedience, God was able to meet the need. And God is trying to show them here, through faith and obedience, I will meet every need you've got. And there he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. Ah, there's going to be some testing. And he said, if you will diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who healed you. I am Jehovah Rapha. You'll be fine. Then they came to Edom, where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. So they camped there by the waters. <coughs> After the time of testing came a time of refreshing. And often you'll find this in your Christian journey. There'll be testing times, but then there'll be resting times, refreshing times. And often they come just after it. Or sometimes you have a refreshing time and a resting time, and then the test comes after that. But in this case, and in most cases, you'll have a refreshing time and a resting time after the test. But here's the thing also. If you keep failing the test, you'll keep getting it. If you keep failing the exams, he'll keep giving you the test. And as we'll see here, they kept failing the exams. So he had to keep giving them the tests because he wanted them to come through and get through this. And so they camped there by the waters, maybe just a few days. But what a beautiful place that Elam was for them. After the harshness of the desert and after the period when they thirsted, now they have water in abundance. They have a beautiful place of palm trees and probably their date palms. And it was beautiful just to be there and just to rest and to know that God had met the need and had taken care of all of their difficulties. And they journeyed from Elam. And all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of sin. Sin has nothing to do with sin as we think sin. It's a, it's a reflection on Sinai, which we were getting close to, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. Now, note that. I've underlined that because it's important. On the 15th day of the second month, if you go back to Exodus 12, you'll find they left Egypt on the 15th day of the first month. So it's exactly one month. It's exactly 30 days. Just 30 days. They've been on the road now. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. They're at it again. They're at it again. How many times are these people going to complain? What does God need to do to stop them complaining? You think after all the Lord has done for them, they would be done with complaining, but no. But then, of course, we wouldn't be like that. Sure, we wouldn't. We would never complain about our circumstances. Are we tests? No, God forbid that we would. We would be more spiritual than that, wouldn't we? Hmm. Don't know sometimes. I find myself complaining. Have you ever found yourself complaining? Of course we have. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, 
Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. Be careful what you wish for, by the way. And, he, and said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. <laughs> it's almost unbelievable, the attitude that's displayed here. But there's lessons here, isn't there? When we sat by the pots of meat and we ate bread to the full. Boy, the very selective memories, these people. Very short memories. Notice how they bypassed the whole 80 years of slavery. <laughs> sure, before that, before that Pharaoh who knew not Moses was raised up, before that, they had plenty of flesh to eat. They had plenty of bread to eat to their full. They had all of that. They had a good life. And they're looking back to those times of pleasure before the times of pain that they had. And sometimes, and this is a problem when people backslide, when they run into difficulties in the Christian life, and then they look back to the old life, and they remember some of the pleasures in the old life, and they hanker after those pleasures in the old life that they had, forgetting, forgetting about the bad times they had. And if it was so good in the old life, why in the world did they come to Christ in the first place? Oh, that's right. They came to Christ in the first place because the old life wasn't satisfying. It wasn't fulfilling. It was leaving them in a mess. That's why they wanted to get out of it. But when they want to go back to it, they only think of the pleasurable times. Because sin has certain pleasures. And they thought of that. And here these people are doing exactly the same. For you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. Be careful what you wish for. In Numbers chapter 14, I'm shooting ahead here, so just listen. When they got to the near the promised land and the spies were sent out to spy out the land, 12 of them. Only two came back with a good report, 10 came back with a negative report. Didn't want to go into the land, put fear into the hearts of the people. And in Numbers 14, 26, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? I have heard the complaints of which the children of Israel make against me. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as I have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above, except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore to make you dwell in. But your little ones, whom you said would be victims, I will bring in, and they shall know the land of which you have despised. And as for you, your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness, and your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years, and bear the brunt of your infidelity until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness. According to the numbers of days which you spied out the land, forty days, for each day you shall bear your guilt one year, namely forty years, and you shall know my rejection." I, the Lord, have spoken this. I will surely do all this evil to the, all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall be consumed, and there they shall die. Ah. 
I'm shooting away ahead in the story, but you see that there comes a point where enough is enough, where they crossed a line with God. He was patient, he was generous, he was gracious, he was kind, he was compassionate, but they kept pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And God says, no more. I'm warning you and I've warned you, but you will not listen. You're not getting into the promised land. Your sons will, but you won't. All because they continually, continually complained. I think it was old George Morrison, a great old preacher, said that it only took one night for God to get Israel out of Egypt, but it took 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. And it did. But here in his grace again, then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them and see whether they will walk in my law or not. I'm going to test them to see if they will obey my word. Hmm. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare that what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gathered daily. Then Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against the Lord. But what are we that you complain against us? Do you not realize and you're complaining against the Lord? It's the Lord has done all this for you. We're, we're just a conduit he's working through, but it's the Lord has done this, and you're complaining against him. But what are we that you complain against us? Also Moses said, This shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and in the morning bread to the full. For the Lord hears your complaints which you make against him. And what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses spoke to Aaron, saying to all the congregation, say to all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. And it came to pass, as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. You want it bread? You want it meat? Okay, I'm going to give it to you. And so it was that quails came up at evening and covered the camp. Quails come up at evening and covered the camp. Quails are migratory birds. And they had been migrating at that particular time. And as they were migrating, that the Lord, in his mercy towards these people, he gave them quails. It says in Numbers 11, because when you read Numbers, and Numbers particularly, it fills in some of the blanks and axes in the same story, so that's why you've got to read them together. In Acts 11, verse 31, Now wind went out from the Lord, and it brought quail from the sea, and left them fluttering near the camp about a day's journey on this side, about a day's journey on the other side. All around the camp, about two cubits above the surface of the ground, or about three feet, that is, above the surface of the ground, so they're easy to catch. And all the people stayed up all that day and all that night and all the next day and gathered the quail. He who gathered least gathered ten homers and they spread them out for themselves all around about the camp. Did you ever eat a quail, by the way? 
ever had a quail? Uh, Sally and I ordered quail one time in a restaurant and it was the biggest mistake we ever made. Uh, I mean, the, the breast of a quail is about the size of your thumbnail. I mean, it's just, you'd need to eat a bucket of them before you felt you had a Kentucky Fried Chicken. I mean, it's just, it's just no wonder they're collecting thousands of them there. And then you had to pluck all of them. I mean, you'd be starving the time you'd get one pluck. <laughs> But this, this for 33. But while the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was aroused against the people, and the Lord struck the people with a very great plague. So he called the name of that place Kebroth Hadava. Kebroth Hadava, which means graves of craving, because there they buried the people who had yielded it to craving. See, they're pushing God, pushing God, pushing God. And God says, I'm not having it. You wanted meat? You desired the flesh pots of Egypt? You craved after the leeks and the cucumber and the garlic, as it says in other passages? That's what you wanted? Okay, I'm going to give it to you. I'll give it to you in the buds. I'll give it to you. And another scripture says, till it's coming out your very nostrils. Till you're sick of it. And in the midst of it, when they were gorging on it, when it's still between their teeth, he struck them with a plague, and many died. And so it was that quails came up at evening and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay all around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted, there was on the surface of the wilderness, there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? Manhu is the Hebrew. And Manhu is where we get mana from. And mana simply, literally means, what is it? They had no idea. Nobody had ever seen this before. Psalm 78, the psalmist beautifully puts it. They gave them angels food to eat. It's the only way he could describe it. Man had never seen anything like this. What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said, this is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. So this special bread, in fact, again, in Deuteronomy 11, verse 7, it says, now the manna was like coriander seed, and its color like the color of bedidium. Bedidium was a kind of a whitish, pearly color. The people went about and gathered it and ground it in millstones and beat it in mortar and cooked it in pans and made cakes of it. And its taste was like the taste of pastry prepared with oil. And when the dew fell on the camp in the night, the manna fell on it. And so he's given this special, unique, never-before-seen bread from heaven, manna. And it says, let every man gather it according to each one's need, one omer for each person, according to the number of the persons, let every man take for those who are in his tent. Then the children of Israel did so and gathered some more, some less. So when they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over, he who gathered little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to each one's need. And Moses said, now remember this is a test to them. We read that a moment ago. And Moses said, let no one leave any of it till the morning. Yeah. Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses. 
So in other words, he says, listen, you know, you're going to have the temptation to hoard this. But don't do that because I can provide this supernaturally for you. So he's testing them to see whether they're going to trust him to provide it the next day or whether they're going to keep it themselves and hoard it in case he didn't give it the next day. So he's testing them. But notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses. But some of them left part of it until the morning and it bred and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Now I said last week, I could only find three places where Moses was angry and I named him. Until I came to this, here's another place. And I might discover more as we go on. And who could blame the man? You two million people complaining against you, you're going to find, you're, there's going to, you're bound to be times you're going to be angry, aren't you? And Moses was angry with them. So they gathered it every morning, every man according to his need. And when the sun became hot, it melted. And so it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. And then he said to them, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will today and boil what you will boil and let up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until the morning. And so on the sixth day, they could keep some because there was going to be none on the Sabbath day. So they died up until the morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink, nor were there any worms in it. So here they were tested again. Then Moses said, Eat that today, for tomorrow, for, for today is the Sabbath of the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. But look at verse 27. And that happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Are they completely deaf? Do they not hear what's been said? Are they stupid? Are they so spiritually dense and dull that they're not getting this? I mean, the command was so simple, it was so easy, it was so straightforward. You couldn't mistake it, you couldn't make it up, you couldn't mishear it. But here we have this, this nature of man is always pushing and pushing and pushing the envelope testing God trying to see what they can get away with not a good idea and the Lord said to Moses how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws see for the Lord has given you the Sabbath therefore he says to you in the sixth therefore he gives to you in the sixth day bread for two days let every man remain in his place let not man go out of his place on the seventh day so the people rested on the seventh day and the house of Israel called its name manna and it was like white coriander seed and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey you see how it's described differently because it's very hard to describe something that's never been before, never tasted before, didn't know what it was, this strange, strange thing called manna. Then Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Fill an omer with it to be kept for your generations, that they may see the bread which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a pot and put an omer of manna in it and lay it up before the Lord to be kept for your generations as the Lord commanded Moses. So Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. Now that's referring 
to later on when they were in the wilderness and they had built the great tabernacle and then later on when they'd been in their own land and eventually a temple, a temple would be there. But that in the tabernacle there would be the Ark of the Covenant and inside that there'd be three things. There'd be two tablets that Moses would put in there, two tablets of stone, be Aaron's rod that bought it supernaturally and there'd be this omer of manna to remind them of what God had done for them in the past as a memorial for them to see, to know that it's there before God. And the children of Israel ate manna 40 years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Cana, and Omer is one-tenth of an ephah. 40 years this manna fed them. 40 years all the protein all the carbs, all the vitamins, all the health, everything, all the energy food. Talk about superfoods. This is the superfoods of all superfoods. And it kept them 40 years in the wilderness. And all they had to do was eat it. So all they had to do. And they could bake it, and they could boil it, and they could make cakes of it, and they could fry it, and they could do whatever they liked with it. But when they ate it, it kept them alive in the wilderness. Now again, God was trying to show them something here beyond what they could eat, this food, what it would do to them naturally. God was trying to show them something beyond what it would do to them naturally. In Deuteronomy 8, and I remember in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy means Deuteronomy nomos, the second law. There was only one law, but that old generation that died off and the new generation that rose up before they would go into the land to possess the land, Moses would have to instruct them in that law that they needed to hear and to understand before they could go in and possess the land. And that law would be the Ten Commandments, be the moral law, it would be uh, ritual laws to do with the priesthood and all the rest of it and how to make sacrifices and feasts and all the rest of it. There'd be civil laws and how to deal with each other civilly. You know, if you borrowed something, didn't get back or you wanted to buy a feed or whatever. All these laws had to be understood by the new generation. So that's why Deuteronomy is called the second law. So Moses just doesn't give it to He explains it to them so they'd fully understand when they go into the new land, they'd have God's law to be able to rule their lives. <clears throat> and so in Deuteronomy chapter 8, every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you and to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you and allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know, listen to this, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Letting you know that my word 
will meet every one of your needs. If you trust what I say, if you trust my word and what I say and obey my commands, I will meet every need you will ever have. That's why he let them hunger. That's why he gave them manna, to test them, to show them not just that he would feed them physically, but there'd be something beyond that, that they would trust him spiritually and they would obey his word. Hallelujah. And then he goes on to say, for your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years, that you should know in your heart that as a man chastens a son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Where did we hear that before? Ah, didn't Jesus say that? Ah, now listen. In John chapter 6, Jesus had just finished feeding the 5,000. Miraculous, miraculously provided food for them out of five loaves and two fishes. No question, mighty miracle. Having done that, if you read it in chapter 6 of John, he sensed, he perceived that they wanted to, by force, make him a king. And he wasn't ready for that. That wasn't his plan at that time. And so he gets up into a mountain apart to pray. His disciples get into their boat to go to Capernaum, which is where they were headquarters, and that was the port of Capernaum, to go there. And so he's praying, and then... A great storm arises, and it looked as if they were going to be drowned in the midst of the sea, and Jesus came onto them walking on the water. And he said, as I, verse 20, at the end of verse 20, but he said to them, as I do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat. And here's a little part here that you should underline in your Bible, because sometimes you read these things, you flip over this. And immediately, the boat was at land where they were going. Ah, Oh, wait a minute. Immediately, as soon as he got into that boat, immediately, suddenly it went from the midst of the sea to the very place where they were wanting to go. That's supernatural, isn't it? That's a miracle of God. But the same Jesus who could walk on water could do that if he so chose, and he did. And on the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, they knew that, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. And when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? How did that happen? How did you get here? We know you never could have walked here in this time. How did that happen? So they were thinking, something funny's going on here. We knew he didn't go on the disciples' boat. We knew he couldn't get there by walking. But here he is here. How did that happen? And so they're, they're beginning to wonder, now, who really is this? And Jesus answered them and said, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. In other words, you were more interested in your bellies than you were about the miraculous sign that I gave you. 
do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe? What work will you do? Ah, you see, when Jesus says that the Father has set his seal upon me and you're to believe in me, that's messianic language. And they knew that. So they're thinking, wait a minute. You're making yourself out here to be the Messiah, the Son of God. So you'll need to show us a sign to prove that. That's what they're saying here. What work will you do? Our fathers ate manna in the desert, for it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So, Moses, the great lawgiver, the great emancipator, the great man of faith, he gave us bread from heaven to eat. Hmm, that's some sign, isn't it? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven. In fact, Moses said, and we read it earlier, Moses said that God has sent this bread from heaven to you. Moses realized that he couldn't do it. God had to do it. But Jesus says, But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. <laughs> they're still not getting, they're so spiritually dense. They're so carnal in their thinking. They're so thinking of material things. They're thinking of food. It's all they think in their heads. He says, Lord, give us this. It's like the wee woman at the well. Lord, give me that to drink. But she just didn't quite grasp what he was talking about at that moment. Lord, give us this bread always. But Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you, but I said that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of the Father who sent me, that all he has given me I should lose nothing, but raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus therefore answered and said to them, do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. As it is written in the prophets, they shall be thoroughly taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that everyone has seen, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. For the second time, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, 
that one may eat of it and not die. For the third time, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They're still thinking carnally. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. Who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. This is everything that a Jew would hate and despise. To eat, drink blood, oh dear, that would be awful. And as the living Father sent me, so I live because of the Father. He who feeds on me shall live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus and himself when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Notice that Jesus is doing something here. He's directing them to the true manna that God sent from heaven that will give life to their spirit and their soul. All they could think about was life to their bodies and their flesh. He says, no, that, that back then, even that was even a sign that Moses was given then, but they didn't get the sign. But he says, I have been sent from heaven. I am the bread of life. Feast on me, eat me, as it were. Not physically or literally, of course. He says, the flesh profits nothing. It's the spirit. I'm talking spiritually to you. Eat me, eat my flesh, drink my blood, commune with me, talk with me, sit down with me, eat with me, fellowship with me. In Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and I will dine with him and he with me. This is what he's talking about. So he, the living manna, came down from heaven. But then, remember in the temptations in Mark, Matthew 4, 4, and Luke 4, and 4, Jesus says, or Satan said to Jesus, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy 8, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so he likened the word of God onto the manna, to bread of life for us. Amen? So here we are as believers in the 21st century. And Christ, our Savior, the Lord Jesus, he is that living bread for us. And here is God's word. And this is bread for us to eat every day. And just the way the manna in the wilderness sustained them for 40 years physically, this sustains us spiritually for the rest of our lives. This will keep you going spiritually forever. This does something. This feeds your inner man. And just the way every night you sit down to feed your outer man, you should sit down sometime every day to feed your inner man. Because this will do it. And it's supernatural. 
Amen? But you've got to do it. Now, there may be a day when you don't do it, but you understand those things. We're not being legalistic. You're not going to die and go to hell because of that. But as much as you possibly can, feed your spirit with the bread of life and sit down with Christ in your devotions and be with him and dine with him and he with you. And when you keep doing that, you'll keep building up your spirit in the inside and you won't be anorexic spiritually, but you'll be strong and you'll be hearty. And then when trouble comes, you'll have something to fight with because inside you've got something that's growing and something that's being fed by the living word of God and by the written word of God. It's wonderful. But they had to gather it. They had to go out and gather it. God provided it. It was there, but they had to go out and gather it. And we have to gather this word. You have to gather it. And, and, and you can go to the New Testament, and there's lots to gather. And you can gather the parables of Christ. You can gather them. And you can gather his sermons. You can gather the Sermon on the Mount. And you can gather up the letters of Paul to the churches and the prison epistles. And you can gather up the four gospels. And you can gather, there's so much to gather up. There's so much to feed on. You can gather up the book of Revelation that Johnny read from at the beginning of the service. There's just so much to gather. You've got to gather it every day. You can gather it and, and you can read it and you can digest it. Yeah, I think it was other Stephen Alford or maybe it was Sid Little Baxter, one of the other great old preachers, that said, listen, Treat the Bible two ways. First of all, treat it like you treat any other book. If you go read any book, what do you do? You start at the beginning and you read through to the end. You should do that with your Bible. Then he says, read it like you read no other book because it's like no other book. And you can read it differently because it is different because it's, it's God's literal word to you and to me that we need to read every day and get something out of it. You say, well, David, I, there's parts I read and I'm not getting much out of it. Well, as I often said, there's times you sit down and you eat your dinner, you don't get much out of it. You <laughs> thought that, but if you hadn't had it. A pastor friend of mine, he says one time he was so frustrated and he felt the congregation. He says, I, was, I felt I was, I was giving the best I could give them. And he says, I didn't feel I was getting anywhere. I didn't feel they were getting it or, or liking it. And he says, I talked to an old, old pastor who had long since retired. And he says, I was just pouring my heart out, I guess. And he says, hold on a minute, he says. He says, what had you for dinner last night? Oh, he says, I had bacon and eggs and I had this. He says, now, tell me, he says, two Thursday nights ago, what had you for dinner? Oh, he says, I, I can't remember. He says, what had you a month ago on the Saturday evening? What did you eat then? He says, I, I can't remember. He says, but you had it, didn't you? And that's what got you to this point. And because you ate every day, even though you can't remember everything you ate, but that's what got you to this point. And sometimes it's like that. You know, sometimes you're reading and reading and you think, well, I'm not thinking much of that. But it's, 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 you're, if you, it's storing up in your spirit and it will give you strength. And then there's times you'll be sitting down reading and suddenly it'll just jump out of the page at you. And it'll be a tasty morsel and you'll chew on that for a while. And of course, you can go to the Old Testament and you can gather up in the Old Testament. And we have done that over the years, you know. You know, there's lots in the Old Testament you can gather up. <laughs> you know, there's the, the prophets, there's the minor prophets, there's the major prophets, isn't there? You know, there's the poetic books, there's the Psalms, there's the Proverbs, there's Ecclesiastes, there's Job. There's, there's all these poetic books, there's Song of Solomon, all of those. You know, and you can go to the historical books, you, you can go to Genesis, or you can do biographical 
studies like we're doing right now with Moses. And we have looked at Moses, we looked at Joshua, we looked at Ezekiel, and the New Testament, we looked at the 12 apostles, we looked at 12 notable women, we looked at six notorious women. There's just so much feeding you can do. Honestly, I'm, I'm trying to get your spiritual juices going here, you know, because this book is just like no other book. It's just full of stuff. And even you've read it a thousand times. And I've read this thing of Moses many, many times, but I'm getting things out of it I never saw before. And that's what the beauty of the Bible. And it's feeding on the manna that God has given us. Amen? Amen. And so God is good. And he provides for us everything we need to keep us going spiritually through this life as believers in Christ. Amen? Amen. So, get into this book. I know I beat that drum consistently, but get into this book and read it and chew on it and eat it and let it assimilate into your spirit. And then out of your abundance, your heart, your mouth will begin to speak because it will be there whenever you need it. Just the way when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, suddenly... He was able to pluck out of Deuteronomy and so forth. Just scriptures just flowed out of him. He was able to do that because it was there, because he fed on it. Not because he was the word of God, but because he fed on it daily, as every good observant Jew did. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your precious word. We bless you, Lord, that it does something to us on the inside. Lord, it is something that we can eat and feed on and make us grow spiritually. And so we give you thanks for it today. And we bless you. Lord, help us as we read Old Testament passages that we just don't think that that's something away centuries ago or millennia ago. But Lord, these things were written for our admonition of whom the ends of the earth has come upon us. Lord, these are here for to teach us and to instruct us and to make us grow spiritually. So we give you thanks for this in Christ's name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.